Good news, leftists. I am now one of you. That is according to the genius devotees of alt-right intellectual wreckage heap, Vox Day. They've now compiled a social justice warriors list in order to, quote, help SJW converged organizations locate and identify social justice warriors they wish to hire or otherwise support. What makes you a social justice warrior, according to these intellectual heavyweights? Quote, self-identifying as a social justice warrior, publicly advocating the disemployment or no platforming of an individual for failing to submit to the SJW narrative, being a journalist and publishing articles that support the SJW narrative or an SJW attack campaign. So, what exactly did I do to earn this honored spot alongside such SJWs as Anita Sarkeesian and Ray Pokeser Emma Sulkowitz? In an interview with Dave Rubin, I said this, quote, It would be idiotic to think that there are no racists. Of course there are legitimate racists, and we should find them and target them, and we should ruin their careers because racism is unacceptable. Now, because many alt-writers are both stupid and bear an uncomfortable love for racism, they found this difficult to understand or swallow. Apparently, I was calling for their firing based on thought, except that these same genius intellectual alt-writers are incapable of a basic Google search because I have always, always, always opposed firing people based on beliefs. I've called for boycotting members of the left for leading boycotts based on beliefs. Here's what I had to say about Brendan Eich, who was the CEO of Mozilla Firefox until he was fired, basically, for being pro-traditional marriage in April 2014. Here's what I said, quote, It's a frightening country to live in when a boycott can be led against you specifically based on your beliefs. The fact that the left gets to use this tactic and destroy people's lives and destroy their businesses because of their political beliefs, they need to be held to their own standard. They've now legitimized tactics that I personally find kind of despicable. Okay. I also said, and I have said for a long time, I'm one of the few commentators explicitly opposed to the government regulating racist behavior in housing and employment because I believe that the market is going to punish people who engage in such nasty behavior. If the alt-writers weren't quite so oversensitive about their idiotic racism, they would understand a basic distinction I make on virtually every topic, the distinction between thought and behavior. I don't really care what you think. I care how you behave. You can say what you think. You can think what you want. Behavior is a different story. The minute you begin instituting racially-based hiring practices, for example, my calculus changes, and now social sanctions like boycotts, well, those would be warranted. So I guess if that makes me an SJW, a social justice warrior, then I'm a social justice warrior. I do have a feeling, though, that the real reason I'm being labeled an SJW is not because of my perspectives on racism. It's because I refuse to support the homoerotic alt-right Freudian father figure Donald Trump, which, of course, means that the people who are pushing this list are the actual show social justice warriors trying to destroy careers based on policing thought. Like, for example, not worshiping a 70-year-old bloated fat socialist loser named Donald Trump. Or perhaps they're just stupid. Or perhaps they're both. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro. The tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. I'll explain why I have such trouble with the alt-writers in just a moment. I've talked about it on the show before, but it never ends from the Trump folks. But first, we have to say hello to our friends over at Hillsdale College. We have a brand new course over at Hillsdale College, which is really cool. It's about the American presidency. So, Donald Trump, among others, has no idea what the powers of the presidency are for, how they are restricted, what they actually do. Bernie Sanders also has no idea about that or what century he's living in. Hillary Clinton has no clue about what the president is supposed to do. Hillsdale College is perhaps the best institution of higher learning in the country, particularly for conservative thought and classical liberal beliefs. But it's not just a place you send your kid to be a student. It's also a place where you yourself can learn about topics that matter. So they have a new class, and it's called the Presidency, right? It's called Presidency on the Constitution. It's hillsdale.edu slash Ben, and you can get it for free. It's, a, it's an online course that arrives right in your inbox from Hillsdale's professors. It's a new lesson every single week. You sign up for free, hillsdale.edu slash Ben. Learn how the Constitution is supposed to protect us from would-be dictators, because let's face it, the way the presidency currently operates, that's not how it was meant to operate. To find out why, hillsdale.edu slash Ben. Okay, so a quick note on the alt-writers, and then we'll move into the day's news. So I've noticed that my Twitter feed has been filled, just filled to the brim for literally months at this point, with nothing but anti-Semitic memes and talk about how I am a quote-unquote manlet, <laughs> which I guess I, I had to look this up because I don't speak stupid. Apparently manlet means uh, like some short guy who works out at the gym a lot. So that's, I guess that, that's quasi-accurate. I'm not super tall, and I work out 
not at the gym a lot, but I, I work out a lot. So like, I guess that's quasi. But apparently, if you don't support Donald Trump, you're a manlet. You lack in masculinity because the highest form of masculinity is God worshiping and, but, and buttock massaging uh, a 69 year old lazy old man who cuckolds his wife routinely and and it, it's just the whole thing is ridiculous all you people all you all you single losers who sit in your basements masturbating to pictures of donald trump while wearing your make america great again hat and you alternate between the red and the white hats yeah you're, you're like it just you're really coming after me for masculinity questions so there's that and so between the manlet stuff and the you're, you're not five nine you're lying about your height Okay, you're right. I'm four foot three. I, I've been I've been hiding it all this time, and I've been wearing foot and a half lifts. That's 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 the thing. The the reason that I'm discussing this is not because I uh, I'm much bothered by these people. Although I have to admit, I find it annoying when I literally cannot go to my mentions without seeing any of these things. But um, the, the the reason that I talk about this is because there's there's this element that's built up among a lot of people on the alt right, supported by people who I used to consider uh, friendlies like Milo Yiannopoulos. Uh, who is, uh, again, can be a very good thinker, but he's flirted with these folks for, for a long time, that mixes up being politically incorrect with just being a douchebag. And the people on the alt-right, they seem to take, they, they revel in just being douchebags. Not just, like, this people's height, whatever, but, but, but like putting out racist material, putting out sexist material. There is such a thing. And it does make you a douchebag. It doesn't grant you a higher patina of virtue. The idea that, that violating rules grants in and of itself a greater standard of virtue is just absolute silly towns. I mean, it depends whether the rule is good or bad, and it depends how you're violating it. Right? I also don't like political correctness. That doesn't mean that I'm going to go around using the N-word. I noticed that there was a story last week that on Milo's Slack account, apparently he was informing people not to use the N-word. Good, I'm glad Milo was doing that. The excuse he used for doing that, though, was that he didn't want it public that people were using the N-word on his Slack. How about, like, don't use the N-word because it's gross? How about that? Again, I think Milo has some valuable things to say, but his flirtation with the folks on the alt-right is just is, is beyond me. I think Milo's too smart for that. Uh, okay, so on to the news of the day. That's just my little rant. On to the news of the day. So Donald Trump is now complaining because he doesn't know how to do things, like a lot of important things. So, for example, in the middle of an election, which rests on winning delegates, Donald Trump seemed to be under the impression that he was actually playing jacks. Like, he, he actually thought he was playing a completely different game than the rest of the field was playing. Instead of winning delegates and hiring people who were going to go out and recruit delegates, instead, he just sort of assumed that it was going to be elections, and not just elections, plurality elections resulting in winner-based-all effects. So a couple of preliminaries. Anyone who's complaining about the rules are really hurting Donald Trump. Donald Trump has won 37% of the popular vote so far. He has won 45% of the delegates. That does not suggest to me that this is somebody who is being hurt by the rules. This suggests to me that he is actually 22% ahead of where he would be if we had what you would call a representative system, if we had uh, a popularly based proportional system, right? He doesn't have, he'd have 37% of the delegates and 37% of the vote. That would make a lot more sense than 37% of the vote and 45% of the delegates. But, but Trump thinks that this is just the end of the world. By the way, the system also heavily, heavily, heavily favors Trump himself because all of the states with a lot of delegates are lefty states. It doesn't matter, like California. To take an example, my state, right? California has 172 delegates at stake, 172 delegates. California has not voted for a Republican since Jimmy Carter in 19... Uh, has not voted for a Republican, sorry, since H.W. Bush in 1988, right? 172 delegates, five registered Republicans, three of them in this room, right? So the, the, there, there are no registered Republicans in this state. We have 172 delegates. Texas, which has voted Republican in every presidential election since Carter in 1976, 155 delegates. So this is a system that benefits Donald Trump, right? Heavy red states that may not like Trump as much. Those states don't have as many delegates as a lot of the blue states where Trump is more popular, like New York. New York hasn't voted Republican since basically somebody bought Manhattan Island from the Native Americans for some bees, right? I mean, it's, it's been a left state for an extraordinarily long percentage of time, point in time. So the, idea, so, so the whole system sort of benefits Trump, but he's whining now because He's saying he didn't get his fair shot in Colorado. So here's what happened in Colorado. In Colorado, the way that this works, they have a system, right? So in 2004, they were holding caucuses in, in, in Colorado, and the, they had what were called unbound delegates who were connected to the caucuses. So they would have caucuses, or really, they would have a, a primary, but the delegates were not bound to the result of the primary. So there would be delegates who were elected through caucuses. A bunch of people get in a room, and we say, Lindsay, you're going to be our delegate 
to the national convention and you get to decide what you want, but we trust you to make a good decision because you're our delegate, right? Just like any representative election. Then, the, the, so she's unbound. She's unbound. She doesn't, if the whole state votes for Trump, she can go vote for Cruz, right? That's, that's how unbound delegates work. And there are a bunch of states that work this way. So they had a poll and then they also had the caucuses and the caucuses were designed to pick the delegates. So since 2004, this has basically been the system, right? In 2012, the system was altered a little bit, and they just said, we're not going to even bother doing the poll. No more poll. It's silly. It's a waste of time. Why are we bothering to do a statewide poll when the people are not bound anyway? Why is that useful, right? The delegates aren't bound anyway. So instead, we'll just have the caucus system, right? We'll go to our local caucuses. There, there was one on March 1st where almost 3,000 caucuses across the state of Colorado were held. Delegates were picked to go to the state convention. The state convention then picks, right? They have a vote. And at that vote, they select the delegates who are going to go to the national convention. And it works this way in a bunch of states. I think nine or so states operate this way. Donald Trump is very angry because Donald Trump doesn't look up rules and he doesn't know how to read. So Donald Trump was very, very upset and thinks he's being gypped because Ted Cruz's people did what they were supposed to do. Namely, they went and they recruited the delegates who were elected in those caucuses. And they said, OK, you guys, when you vote for the next slate of delegates to go to national level, please vote for these people. And they gave a list of people who are pro-Cruz. Trump didn't bother to do the research. And now he's super, super mad about it. He's very, very upset. And so here is Donald Trump clip three. This is Donald Trump saying the system has been rigged against Donald Trump. It's always rigged against Donald Trump. Anytime Trump doesn't succeed, this is, this, you want to know what social justice warrior looks like. It's people who blame society for their own failings. Trump doesn't know how to read and Trump doesn't know how to put together a slate of candidates. So here is Donald Trump complaining like a social justice warrior. All of society, I guess it's institutional racism that prevented him from using his very good brain and very best people to go and hire some people to go and actually caucus. Here, here's Trump. All right, so yesterday or over the weekend, you lost the state of Colorado and you tweeted about this. You said you were angry and you said it was unfair. Why do you think that? Well, it really started with Colorado and, and the people out there are going crazy, you know, in, in the Denver area and Colorado itself. And they're going absolutely crazy because they weren't given a vote. This was given by politicians. It's a crooked deal. And I see it. And I see it. Honestly, I see it with Bernie, too. You know, I've gotten millions more votes, millions, not just a couple, millions of more votes than Cruz. And I've gotten hundreds of delegates more. And we keep fighting, fighting, fighting. And then you have a Colorado where they, frankly, where they, they you know, just get all of these delegates. And it's not a system. There was no voting. I didn't go out there to make a speech or anything. There's no voting. And, you know, I heard Pete say, well, that's the way it is. Well, that really shouldn't be the way it is. This was changed in the summer to help a guy like Cruz, and it's not right now. You know, I won, as an example, South Carolina. I won it by a landslide, like a massive landslide. And now they're trying to pick off those delegates one by one. That's not the way democracy is supposed to work. And, you know, they, they offer them trips. They offer them all sorts of things. And you're allowed to do that. I mean, you're allowed to offer trips, and you can buy all these votes. What kind of a system is this? Now, I'm an outsider, and I came into the system, and I'm winning the votes by millions of votes. But the system is rigged. It's crooked. When you look even at Bernie, I'm not a fan of Bernie, but every time I turn on your show, Bernie wins, Bernie wins, mm -hmm. Bernie wins, and yet Bernie's not winning. I mean, it's, it's a rigged. system. It's a, it's a rigged system. It folks. looks like it. Mr. Trump, I've uh, been a part of the caucus system in Minnesota. It is a difficult system, and I was steamrolled by and out-organized by a Ron Paul movement. Isn't it just fair to say that these are the rules, Ted Cruz is organized, and you're just flat-out being out-organized? No, because I've got millions more votes. I mean, you could say he's out-organized because I have millions of more votes, Pete, and I happen to have more delegates than he does by a lot. But when you go into a, a Colorado where the people of Colorado are complaining that they're not allowed to vote, mm -hmm. that's the best of all because they're not even allowed to vote. Or when I go into Louisiana and I win Louisiana by a lot, I get thousands of more votes than Cruz, and then I find out that I get less delegates, you know, hey, I'm somebody coming in to make America great again. I'm coming in to do something positive. I'm an outsider. The system's rigged. I okay, see so, so, it. I see okay, it. So here's, how, here's how it works. He's an outsider. That means he gets to be ignorant. He's also an outsider, which means that whenever he makes a mistake, we're supposed to just pretend that he that he's just learning the ropes. He's just learning the ropes, right? Okay, first of all, back in 2012, he knew how the delegate process worked, and he explicitly praised Mitt Romney for working the delegate process. Second of all, there is a difference between how delegates are selected at the Republican level and the superdelegates who are selected in the Democratic level. So at the Democratic level, the way superdelegates are appointed is they are state officials and Congress people from the Democratic Party. They're selected in advance before any of the caucuses go on. The people, the individuals are selected before any of the caucuses or primaries. And then those people are supposed to kind of put their thumb on the scale of justice. 
The way the Colorado process works, the voters did select their delegates and then the delegates selected their national delegates. So that is, in fact, a Democratic process. But all of this doesn't mean anything because it's just going to be Trump whining because he's not winning. Right. He's, he's whining because he's not winning. And so, look, if you wanted to win this process, I thought th- there are a couple of things about this that, that really ought to be telling, even if you don't like the way this process goes. I, again, think that the way the process ought to work is no winner take all anywhere ever. It shouldn't be winner-take-all anywhere ever. You should still have to get to a majority of the delegates, and you should have to have proportional representation in all of the states. So Trump would have 37% of the vote right now, and Ted Cruz would probably have about 21% of the delegates right now. And we go into the convention, everyone would know it was open, and then there would be a lot of brokering and a lot of bartering. We wouldn't be generating false majorities by giving Trump 99 delegates in Florida for winning less than 50% of the vote. Right? We wouldn't be, that, that seems fairer to me. But we're not drawing up the rules from scratch. So as long as we're not drawing up the rules from scratch, the rules are what they are. And this speaks to the fact that Trump doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know what he's doing. There are a couple of things this speaks to. One, Trump says that he has the, that, that he's a great deal maker, right? He's the best deal maker. He's going to make deals. He's going to win. We're going to win. And we're going to win so much it makes your head spin. We're going to win. You're going to get sick of winning. All we do is make great deals, great deals. Well, why is it that Ted Cruz is schlonging him on the deals? He says right there that Ted Cruz is buying people off with trips. First of all, haven't seen any evidence that's true. It would just be another Trump lie if it, if it happens not to be true. And, and his surrogates are out there saying the same thing, by the way. I'll get to that in a second. But he says, Ted Cruz is making them deals. Wait, I thought that was your deal. I thought that's what you were good at. I thought that's why you gave more money to Democrats than Republicans from 1980 to 2010. It was because you, you cut great deals. So somehow you found the time and the wherewithal to sign a check to Nancy Pelosi and sign a check to Harry Reid, but you couldn't sign a check to your own guy to go and presumably try and bribe some of those delegates? What a great deal maker you are. And then he says he hires all the very best people. Uh, no, no, clearly. I mean, Cruz hired better people. And finally, Trump says he has a very good brain, and all of this does not suggest the, the workings of a particularly great brain. Speaking of the, hiring the best people, here is Trump's cam- his new convention manager, is a guy named Paul Manafort. Uh, a few years ago, I was approached by a, by a fellow who's kind of a black ops Republican specialist who's fixed up with me by a, by a big Republican donor. And I met with him, you know, three or four times probably because he kept suggesting that he wanted to uh, that, that he wanted to produce a movie and he wanted my help with that. And one of the people he wanted to fix me up with was was the person you're about to see, a guy named Paul Manafort. And Paul Manafort was at the time working very heavily to preserve in power the the then dictator of of Ukraine. And needless to say, we didn't end up working together. But this is Paul Manafort. This is he he, he manipulates on the on the international stage for good or ill. Here is Paul Manafort explaining the Trump objections to how Ted Cruz is operating within the system. What is fair game to win a delegate? Is threatening a fair game? Is threats a fair game? It's not is my it... style. It's not Donald Trump's style. What is? Tell, but it, but what it is, can you but do? it is Ted Cruz's style, and and that's going to wear thin very fast. You think he's threatening delegates? Well, he's threatening that there. You go to these county conventions and you see the tactic, the Gestapo tactics, the scorched earth. Gestapo tactics. Yeah, they are. That's a strong word. Well, you look at. So you, we're going to be filing several protests because the reality is, they are not playing by the rules, but. Frankly, that's the side game, because the only game I'm focusing on right now is getting delegates. And the games that have happened, even this past weekend, you know, are, not, are not important to the long-term game of how do we get to 1237. Gestapo tactics. Gestapo tactics. And for those who don't know the Gestapo, you're talking about the Nazi secret police who would go around literally taping electrodes to genitals and torturing people until they gave up information. Yeah, the Gestapo were like the worst people ever. I, I haven't seen that with Cruz. I'm, I'm sorry, like, maybe... Cruz campaign has problems, but I haven't seen them actually torturing delegates in order to move to Cruz. What I have seen is Roger Stone, the the Trump campaign hitman. He's supposedly outside the organization, but he's clearly an operative for Trump, saying things like this. He said last week, we're going to have protests, demonstrations. We will disclose the hotels and the room numbers of the delegates who are directly involved in the steal. So if we're talking about threats, if we're talking about getting violent with people who, who refuse to back you, seems a lot closer to the Trump campaign than anybody else. But this is the routine now, is that, is that Trump is going, to, is going to play victim even as he fails to do his basic due diligence here. And by the way, speaking of failure to do basic due diligence, two of his kids are, are supposed to be registered to vote in New York, and, uh, and both of them failed to register as Republicans. So neither one of them can formally vote for Trump in New York primary. So clearly taking care of business on that level. Okay, time for a quick profit timeout with Reagan.com. So Reagan.com, for folks who don't know, they're, they're one of our great advertisers. 
What's great about Reagan.com is two things. First of all, you can get an email address, your name at Reagan.com, which is cool. You link your name with Reagan's every time you send an email. And second, they make sure that they're not going to sell a single word, copy or scan a single word of your private email content, unlike a lot of other email services that allow the government to get in there and marketing firms to get in there to advertise to you and use cookies against you. That's not what Reagan.com does. To get a private account, a protected account from Reagan.com, you need to go to ReaganPrivacy.com. That's ReaganPrivacy.com, and, uh, and you'll get the first two months for free. So that is pretty cool. Okay, so just to finish up on this, the election is rigged against Trump routine. Glenn Beck, who is about as ardently anti-Trump as it's possible to be at this point, Glenn Beck says that if, if Trump has the most delegates going in but doesn't win the nomination, then he should be given the nomination anyway. And I, I want to explain why I disagree with Glenn here. You would prefer a Trump nomination, if it's not Cruz, over anybody else? No, no, no. I, I think a Trump nomination would be, I am a never Trump guy. Okay. I think a Trump nomination would, would be disastrous. With that being said, you can't disenfranchise people. If, if Trump wins the mm -hmm. 1237 or wins the first, second, third uh, ballot, it must go to him and it can't go to dirty politics. It, you, you can't continue to disenfranchise people. I will never vote for Donald Trump, but if he's the guy that mm -hmm. is picked with fair play, that's fine. But you have Reince Priebus saying that it will be somebody who is running right now. Okay, let's take the GOP chair at his word. Yep. It's got to be somebody who's running. Okay, so it's got to be somebody who's running. What's unclear about what Glenn is saying there is what happens when he says if Trump wins the first ballot. Does that mean Trump wins outright on the first ballot? I mean, I agree. You can't change the, the rules of the game after the game has been played. But if Trump only ends up with 1,100 delegates, do you give it to him? I don't think so. I don't think so. And I think the Trump people are going to get mad and they're going to walk away. And I think that if Trump wins the nomination, a lot of us are going to get mad and they're going to walk away because Trump is a polarizing figure because Trump has no centralizing principle or morality. He just doesn't. He's not a moral figure. He doesn't have principles. Trump's only reason for existence is just to be, a, as, as someone at National Review put it, a pulsating middle finger. That's, that's basically all that, all that Trump is. There is one principle that he has. There is one principle that he has, and that principle is destroying the United States on trade, just destroying us. So he was in Rochester, New York, Trump was, over the weekend. Uh, we had a reporter there covering it. And when Trump took the stage, he actually said, Rochester's been a community. I spoke there last week. It's a very pro-Trump community because it's very blue collar. Uh, as I said on, on the podcast last week, I, I was on a small plane up to Rochester, and I was surrounded on all six sides by Trump supporters, which is almost my definition of hell. It's, it's close. The only thing worse would be six Obama supporters or six Hillary supporters, uh, which is every flight into California. But and I'm surrounded by Trump supporters, and they're talking about why is Trump great? He's going to bring industry back. How's he going to bring industry back? Well, he's in Rochester, and he says he's going to bring industry back because he's going to hit individual companies with a 35% tax until they agree to return and create jobs. And he's basically going to, he's going to hit them in, in presumably economic fascist modality. He's going to hit them until they come back, which, by the way, is a success. As we all know from our personal lives, the best way to get somebody to love you is to hit them as often as possible. If you really want your spouse to stay and your spouse wants to leave, the best way to get her to stay is just to hit her with a frying pan. And the same thing is true on economics, right? If you really want a company to stay and hire people, the best thing you can do is threaten to, is threaten to, to find them enormous amounts of money and, and hit them with, with tremendous taxes. Trump and, and Bernie Sanders are very much aligned on this kind of stuff. So Bernie Sanders has been very anti-trade for a long time. Trump apparently believes in something called dependency theory. And this is important stuff. Dependency theory is an idea of economics that was pushed by the Marxist left in South America particularly. And it suggested that the outside world was infiltrating and destroying domestic South American businesses through trade. That these companies were coming in and they were building factories and they were and they were and they were usurping the natural resources in the labor base and then they were exporting all of the basic materials back to where they came from and making the the nice products and then sending them back and reimporting them. So the, this dependency theory idea they call it neocolonialism because way back in the day you'd have the British government go to some place in Africa and instead of manufacturing chessboards in Africa they would take all the wood ship it back to Britain make the chessboards reimport them into Africa right. So the idea was raw materials get shipped out, and this creates dependency because now we're dependent on these other countries for creating the chessboards and building our businesses, which is called trade. I mean, you're, you're always dependent on the person with whom you are trading, right? And so what the, what the Latin Americans did, what the South Americans did, is they installed all these massive trade barriers. 
They said, we're not going to let business come in here unless they basically pay a giant fine and unless they do not leave, right? We're just going to keep them here. And, and we're going to make sure that when they try to reimport things, we charge lots of money and we'll build, we'll, we'll build up our domestic business here. We'll make chessboards here, right? We'll make chessboards here. Only one problem. They're really crappy at making chessboards, right? They're really crappy at making it. It was inefficient. They'd be better off just developing other industries in that particular state. And so what ended up happening is they bankrupted their country. Dependency theory is the stupidest form of economics available. Donald Trump buys into this. He thinks that every time we trade with somebody from China, every time a private company makes a trade with a company in China, that China is somehow defeating us and making us dependent on China. China's just as dependent on us. In a trade, there are two partners. right? But, but the idea is that by cutting off the trade, we will bring those businesses back here. Okay, let's say we bring the t-shirt manufacturing business back from Vietnam. How many people is that going to hire? What's the pay going to be like? Are people really willing to pay $125 for a $5 t-shirt without designer labels on it? Now, what are, what, are, what are people willing to do? This is Trump's view of trade. He wants to build a giant economic wall that keeps businesses stuck in the United States, and he wants to build a giant physical wall that keeps immigrants out of the United States. There's something to be said for the giant physical wall because otherwise we can't keep track of the immigration, but the economic wall is doomed to disaster. But again, Trump has no knowledge. He doesn't have to have knowledge. This is all appealing to a very particular group of voters. Okay, now, time to move over to the other side of the aisle where one of the most amusing things in the world is happening, and it's truly, truly amusing, and it's, it's sad, actually, and that is the Hillary-Bill marriage of convenience is beginning to, is beginning to shred and fray. Uh, and they, for, for a long time, for many, many years, ever since they, the last time they had sex, which was the, the conception of Chelsea, this has been purely a marriage of, of convenience, and probably was since the beginning. And Hillary rode Bill's coattails to the White House, and Bill used Hillary as his beard so that he could do whatever he felt like doing. And then the, the trade was that eventually Hillary would ride his coattails, and she would go all the way to the White House on his coattails. Now, part of that deal was going to be that Bill was going to be a half-decent president. He was going to govern as a quasi-moderate. And then Hillary was going to run off the legacy of Bill's presidency and say, if you want the good old Clinton days of yore, all you need to do is vote me back into the White House. But something along the road happened. What happened is that the left in America decided not to move toward Clintonian moderation. They decided to move instead toward radical left Bernie Sanders type gobbledygook. And so Hillary has been forced to move radically to the left, radically to the left. And that means she's had to disown the actual key achievements of her husband. So Bill, who's rightly proud of the fact that he signed into law a criminal justice reform bill that helped lead, at least in part, to the greatest decrease in crime in modern American history from 1994 to 2010, right? She's now denouncing that. She's denounced welfare reform, which got millions and millions of people off the welfare rolls and into jobs. Right? She's denounced even his, his budgeting process because he should have spent more on social services, right? She, she's gone after all of the things, all of the things that Bill Clinton once stood for, and he's humiliated because he has two choices. He can either stand up for his legacy or he can be completely emasculated by this woman. And you can see how torn he is. Here's Hillary ripping into Bill's crime bill. By the way, ripping into Bill's crime bill at a time when crime is skyrocketing in major American cities across the country. If Ted Cruz or Donald Trump, if, if the Republican does not run on crime, the Republican is stupid, like seriously dumb. Crime rates have risen by double digits. Violent crime rates have risen by double digits in virtually every major metropolitan American area, virtually all of them. And the reason for that is because the left has decided that the police have to be pulled out of broken windows policing, right, going after small offenses, and they have to stop, stop, and frisk, and they have to ensure that the police don't do their jobs on small offenses. And the, the left has simultaneously suggested we let a bunch of criminals out of prison. Like here in California, we've had prison realignment. We've defined deviancy down, so crimes that used to be considered felonies are misdemeanors, and misdemeanors are considered nothing. All of this is leading to tremendous increases in crime, which is a quality of life issue. Meanwhile, Hillary is blasting Bill for having put too many criminals in prison because she's been forced to the left by the radical Democratic base, which has been living off the, off the goodness and surplus of America's low crime rate for the last 20 years. Here's Hillary ripping her own husband's crime bill. We should all be listening to each other, and I certainly have been listening. On the very first day of this campaign, I gave a speech about criminal justice reform and ending the era of mass incarceration. I have been consistently speaking out about what I would do as president. And I think it's important for people to recognize we have work to do, that there were uh, a lot of people very scared uh, and uh, concerned about high crime back in the day. Um, and now we've got to say, okay, 
we have to deal with the consequences, and one of the consequences is, uh, in my view, over-incarceration of people who should not have been in the criminal justice system. They have an addiction problem, a mental health problem. They have committed a low-level offense, a nonviolent offense. So I want to divert people from the criminal justice system and from being incarcerated, and I want to do more if people are in corrections institutes to help them while they're there, and I want to do more to help them when they get out re-enter into society. Okay, this is all very pretty talk. Heather McDonald has a great new book that's coming out shortly called The War on Cops. And she talks about all of the myths that are inherent here, the, the era of mass incarceration. Which innocent people are in prison? Can she name any? Can she name any of the innocent people in prison? When she talks about the people who are just innocent drug users, who are, who are caught for using drugs, the actual percentage of people who are just using drugs in prison, in state prisons, is like 3%. Almost nobody in state prisons was caught and put there just for using drugs. And usually it was just for using drugs while out on parole, right? So as a condition of their parole, they weren't supposed to use drugs. They came in, they gave a drug test, they violated their parole, they went back to prison. The idea, and, and most, actually most of the people who are put in prison for drug use are people who bargain down. They plea bargain down, right? They were drug dealers and they plea bargain down to drug use because the system is overwhelmed, basically. But there's this myth out there that there's this vast underclass of people who have just been imprisoned thanks to the drug laws, and that's really what's behind all of this. The, of the people who have been put in prison additionally, the increase in, in prisoners, the vast majority of those people are there for violent crimes or property crimes. Only 16% of that increase comes from drug crimes. And the vast majority of those are drug dealers. But Hillary is saying, let's let all those people out. And she's saying, oh, we used to be scared of crime. There's no reason to be scared of crime anymore. Really? There's no reason to be scared of crime anymore. Ask the people in New York City who are now, in, who are now seeing a double-digit increase in violent crime. Ask the people in L.A. who saw, I think last year, significantly more than a 15% increase in the murder rate. See if it affects those people. But Hillary has to run. The left is so radical now. They would rather let the prisoners out. This is just a rehash of the 60s. Okay, this is a rehash of the 60s. The crime rates in the United States rose through the 20s. They rose through most of the 30s. And then... As World War II hit, they proceeded to drop from basically 1941 all the way until the mid-1960s. And then the war on poverty hit, the welfare programs hit, the, the deinstitutionalization of criminals hit, and boom, the crime rate skyrockets from 1960 to 1990. The crime rate rises 400%, 400%. People were rightly upset about crime, and they're rightly upset about crime now. And if the Republican doesn't take advantage of this, they're foolish. Now, you can see... For Bill, this is really rough. I mean, this is really rough. Bill has significantly more pangs of conscience over having to back his wife's stupidity on crime to get her elected than he ever did about cheating on her. Here's Bill trying to, and you can see how torn he is, trying to repudiate his own legacy on crime in order to push forward his, his wife to the presidency. So these two women in the crowd got up and started screaming that they were angry about the crime bill by his son and that I was responsible for mass incarceration, which is interesting since Hillary was the first candidate to say there are too many young people in prison for too long for nonviolent offenses, and we need to let them out. She was the first person who came back to And But what the women were referring to was the crime bill I signed, and now Vice President Biden sponsored. Now, and it is true, it had longer sentencing provisions. It is true that they led to some people going to jail for too long in ways that cannot be justified. And I went to the NAACP convention last year and said that and said it was way past time to change, but pointed out just as Hillary did, you can't just let these kids out of prison unless they have education, training, job placement, transition support, so they don't turn and go back in. He's, he's, he's trying to have it both ways, right? He's trying to say that, that these people should be in prison, but we can't let them out. I mean, he just said we can't let them out until they're no longer a threat. Okay, the recidivism rate of people getting out of prison, particularly from long stretches, is nearly 100%. People who get out of prison, prison like this, they tend to be career criminals, and then they go and they commit crimes. And when he says things like, well, we need better... We need better occupational training. They've had these programs for literally years in the prisons. They don't do anything. They don't do anything. There are a couple of theories as to what you can do with prisoners so that you don't have to keep them there forever. One of the theories is that you can have a system where if you do actually commit a low-level crime, there's not even a trial, basically. You just pick them up for parole violation, 
and they will go to jail. They will go to jail. There's a difference between jail and prison. Jail is short-term, prison is long-term. They go to like a holding cell for a couple of days, and they know for sure that they're going to end up there if they're caught with drugs, for example. And it turns out that people don't like doing that, and so they don't do that. Punishment has to be swift, and it has to be, and it has to be immediate, and it has to be invariable, right? That's the idea, and Heather McDonald talks about this. But the idea that we have to let lots of people out of prison and there will be no concomitant increase in the crime rate It's idiocy, but this is what the left has to do now. The left has gone fully at war with reality, fully at war with reality. Joanne Reed is a commentator. I think she's on NBC. She says that Hillary is now having to live through the repudiation of Bill's presidency, and that's basically right. Did Bill Clinton miss the memo? Yeah. (laughs) And how to talk about his... uh crime bill that everybody is now repudiating? Yeah, very awkward. They were, they were a group called the Philly Coalition for Real Justice. It was a, a pair of uh, people mm-hmm. who said themselves they are not part of Black Lives Matter. That said, the problem with Bill Clinton's oration and the problem with the way that he defended himself was that he was defending himself. And that Bill Clinton, I think, is living emotionally through the repudiation of much of his legacy, whether it's on LGBT rights or whether it's on this crime bill or on criminal You're justice. Right. His legacy yeah. is being relitigated in the negative, and I think it's hard for him to deal with it. But what he didn't understand is in, in the role of surrogate, it is not your job to defend well, yourself. And this complicated bill that has no clean hands. And, and, and he no took the bait at the protest. Okay, and she's right, but that's because the left has moved so far to the left. Because that was actually a good thing Bill Clinton did. Right? Let's admit that that was a good thing that Bill Clinton did. Keeping criminals in prison for committing repeat crimes and having mandatory minimum sentences for those criminals was a good thing. And you want to ask the people who think it's a good thing? Talk to the black people who are still alive because of this. Because it's not the people in Beverly Hills who disproportionately benefited from these, from these measures. It was the people who are living in the inner city in South L.A., Right, who didn't have to worry about their kids sleeping in bathtubs and being shot at. They were sleeping in, literally, there was a period in American history in the 1980s where little black children were sleeping in bathtubs because they were so afraid of drive-bys. Right, because the bathtubs were made of porcelain, so if they got shot at, then presumably it would block the bullets. Right, this is, we're seeing the increase in murder happening in New Orleans, in Chicago, in Washington, D.C., in L.A., in New York, all over the United States, all over the United States because the left has moved so far to the left. And now Hillary has had to reflect Bernie Sanders to the point where Bill de Blasio, who truly is responsible for the ongoing destruction of a city that had cleaned itself up. The reason Rudy Giuliani became mayor of New York City originally is because the crime rate was so high. The quality of life issues in New York were so bad that that's why they made Escape from New York with, with Kurt Russell. Right? The original reason they made that was a science fiction movie where it turned in, they turned Manhattan into basically a giant prison. Right? The reason that they did that is because the New York crime rates were so bad Okay, the, Bill de Blasio comes in, he undoes everything, everything that Rudy Giuliani was doing. He undoes the stop and frisk. He undoes, he undoes, the, the, he undoes the, the heavier policing, the community policing. He, does, he undoes all of these things because Bill de Blasio is basically a communist. And by the way, for all the people who think stop and frisk was some sort of racially biased attempt to get black and Hispanic people, from January to June 2008, from January to June 2008, six-month period, just any six-month period, 98%, of all gun assailants in New York City were black or Hispanic. Stop and frisk targeted 85% black and Hispanic. They underprofiled. They underprofiled. It just turns out that when you are imprisoning people who commit crimes, too many minority people are committing crimes. Don't want to go to jail as a minority? I have a solution. Don't be a criminal. Don't be a criminal. But the left doesn't accept this. So Bill de Blasio, Hillary's moved to the left, and now Bill de Blasio, who's basically an open communist, You would think he would endorse Bernie Sanders, right? I mean, Bernie Sanders, the guy who literally tweeted yesterday, Bernie Sanders tweeted yesterday, he thinks that banks should not be in the business of profits. They should be in the business of providing affordable loans, which was why we had a subprime mortgage meltdown, folks, because the banks were in the business of providing affordable loans backed by the federal government. Bill de Blasio, instead of backing Sanders, he backs Hillary because the mainstream left has now moved so far. This is what I don't want to see on the right. The mainstream left has moved so far to the left that Hillary is now part of the communist, socialist, Bill de Blasio movement. On the right, what I don't want to see is the mainstream conservative movement move so far to Trumpism that now they're part of part and parcel of the ideologically incoherent, big man, great leader politics of Donald Trump. Here's Bill de Blasio endorsing Hillary Clinton. I have great respect for both these candidates, but Hillary is a, a person who can get things done, uh, kinds of things we need in this country. Look, we have to tax the wealthy. We have to raise wages and benefits. We need things like universal pre-K nationwide. Hillary's the person who actually knows how to get things like that done. And that's what voters are looking for. They're looking for change in this country, but it has to be practical. It has to be real. 
it has to be practical. It has to be real. And so he's voting for the lady who's lying about everything. That's that's what they that's what they do now. And and by the way, this is, you want to talk about a rigged game. The real rigged game in American politics is the idea that Hillary's not going to go to prison. The Obama administration, it's now clear, the Obama administration has come out and declared it's over for, for this whole investigation. This investigation is over. Hillary has been cleared. She's now part of the great maw of the far left, and we must protect her at all costs. Watch these two clips back to back. Here's Barack Obama suggesting that the Justice Department will not protect Hillary Clinton, that she is, she's going to undergo a fair process. Here's Obama, and then we'll get to Hillary. We're talking about a tiny fraction of fanatics and killers who are not representative. Oh, no, of not that one. That's, that's, <laughs> that's him talking about ISIS. We're talking about uh, the, uh, the clip 12, clip 12. Some people, I think, are worried whether or not the decision, whether or not how to handle the case will be made on political grounds, not legal grounds. Can you guarantee to the American people, can you direct the Justice Department to say Hillary Clinton will be treated as the evidence goes, she will not be in any way protected. I can guarantee that. And, and I can guarantee that not because I give uh, Attorney General Lynch a directive. That is institutionally how we have always operated. I do not talk to the Attorney General about pending investigations. I do not talk to FBI directors about uh, pending investigations. The, uh, we have a strict line uh, and always have maintained it previous so, presidents ju just to button this up you, i guarantee it you i guarantee that there is no political influence in any investigation conducted by the justice department or the fbi not just in this case but in any case and she will be full stop period and she will be treated no differently. guaranteed full stop nobody gets treated differently when it comes to the justice department nobody gets treated differently by the justice the department even no if she Nobody's above the law. Nobody gets treated differently by the Justice Department, except for like Lois Lerner over at the IRS or let's say the DOJ sending actual representatives to the funeral of criminal thug Michael Brown, who tried to murder a police officer, or perhaps sending you know, various representatives all over the country to, to, target to target police departments for no reason. No, everybody gets treated just the same. You know, Fast and Furious, Eric Holder got treated exactly the way that the law would have suggested he be treated. And then here's Hillary looking supremely confident about all of this, clip 13. Do you know what I hear a lot? They are clinging to the hope that the way they'll be able to deal with that is that at some point between now and the election, and they say this, they say this, that they will get to see Hillary Clinton in handcuffs. Oh my goodness. That there will goodness. be some kind of political perp walk oh, based so, on your private. That, well, Matt, I know that they live in that world of fantasy and hope because they've got a mess on their hands on the Republican side. That is not going to happen. There is not even the remotest chance that is going to happen. But look, they've been after me, as I say, for 25 years, and they have said things about me repeatedly okay. that have been proven to They're be They're after not me. They, they've been trying to get me. Those coppers, they've been trying to get me for years, and they can't get me. I love Matt Lauer saying that they, they want to see a political perp walk. No, we'd actually just like to see a perp walk. It's you who are adding political because you love Hillary Clinton so much, and you're eating with her at a diner, apparently. Okay, so that's, that's the story on the, on the left side of the aisle. Hillary has engaged in the full left, and now the full left will embrace her with all the power of government surrounding them, and it's, it, it is amazing. Okay, time for a couple of things that I like and then a, a couple of things that I hate. So, first of all, things that I like. There's a new book out called, uh, I'm just telling you what I'm reading now. I, I give you my reading list now. So there's a book by George Gilder, who's a tremendous author, called The Scandal of Money. Uh, I'm in the middle of that one right now, and I will tell you how it is, but all of his other books are excellent. Knowledge and Power is a really good book, uh, and uh, the Wealth and Poverty is a very good book. George Gilder is a very, very solid thinker. So I'll, I'll tell you how that one is going. I'm also in the middle of a book by Ryan Anderson uh, about traditional marriage and the Supreme Court's decision on that. So I'll let you know how that goes. Uh, and, and so uh, that's, that's what's on my nightstand at current time. Here's a little light reading. And finally, uh, some, some things that I hate. So a couple of quick things that I hate. First of all, I just want to note, uh, th there's, there's this whole meme now that's going around the, the Trump support that I am a paid shill for Cruz, right? I'm, the, the Cruz campaign is paying me or the Cruz super PACs are paying me. I've never received a dollar from either of those two entities. What they're really saying is that the Wilkeses own the Daily Wire and the Wilkeses are big donors to the Cruz campaign. This is true. They, they're big donors to, to a Cruz super PAC, the Wilkeses. Uh, here is why this argument is idiotic. First of all, 
when we created the Daily Wire, we looked for investors. Some of the investors we went to were the Wilkeses. The reason being that we went to people who were ideologically aligned. Just like any other company, you go to for funding to the people with whom you are ideologically aligned. I didn't bother going over to Warren Buffett looking for funding for Daily Wire because that would be a waste of time. I didn't stop by Ariana Huffington's offices. I went to the people with whom I'm ideologically aligned. And I can tell you this, the folks who, who own the Daily Wire, the people who fund the Daily Wire, they have never, ever, at any point, given any editorial input as to what I put on the page. And the clarity is this. I mean, I've been writing the same kind of stuff, and I was writing the same kind of stuff for Breitbart, right, which is a very pro-Trump website, up until the point where I quit because their bias became overwhelming to the point of undercutting their own reporter, as I, as I said at the time. So the idea is that I'm bought and paid for. This is a Trump thing. Okay, so here's how Trump operates. All of the things that Trump is, that's what you are, right? So Trump is corrupt. That means that if you oppose Trump, he will say that you are corrupt. Trump believes that all women adore him. He treats women badly. And so, and so Trump thinks that all women who don't like him, right, his surrogates say all women who don't like him are basically having sex with Ted Cruz, right? Amanda Carpenter and Mary Catherine Hamm and Alicia Krause and Dana Lash. They're all having sex with Ted Cruz. That's the only reason they wouldn't be attracted to the sausage-like fingers of, of Donald Trump, right? That's, that's the only reason. And because Donald Trump is a political John, and he has said many times that he basically buys and sells people 10 times over, and this is what he does, he believes that everybody is for sale. So it's not just me. Mark Levin is for, this is what Roger Stone writes. Mark Levin was for sale, and Eric Erickson was for sale, and I'm for sale, and everybody's for sale. Everybody's, so I have a question for Trump. I'm right here. My email address is bshapiro at dailywire.com. You want to try and buy me? Let's do this thing. Really, make me an offer. Make me an offer, because if you're this great deal maker, if everybody is for sale, if I'm that corrupt, I haven't gotten any checks from Donald Trump, and I haven't seen any offers from Donald Trump. So let's, let's see how mercenary I am. Right? Let's see if I'm willing to take money from, from people with whom I, I, people I find despicable, like, like Donald Trump. He, he must be a really crappy dealmaker since everybody's for sale, but he seems to have missed some of the biggies when it came to buying them out. This whole thing is, is silliness. But again, Donald Trump's people project, right? If you, if you oppose Donald Trump, you are all the things Donald Trump actually is, namely a political whore who's willing to go where he gets support and willing to say anything to get where he needs to go, right? And if you are a Donald Trump backer and you're in this sort of like bizarre homoerotic fantasy with Donald Trump where he pats you on the head and like you're his, you're his child, but simultaneously you're attracted to his mighty mightness. You're, you're, you're super attracted to his ginormous masculinity and his, and his magical hands. Then it must be that if you oppose Trump, it must be because you have some sort of pathological issue you're being paid off. It's, it's, it's silly. So that's a, that's a thing I hate. Okay, final thing I hate, John Kasich. Oh no, oh God, no, John Kasich. John Kasich is still in this race. No one knows why. No one. John Kasich doesn't know why. You don't know why. I don't know why. No one knows why. Not your God knows why. Like this is God's omnipotence ended with trying to understand the mind of John Kasich. So the Ohio governor, is, he's, he's, it, no one knows why he's here or what he's doing. But John Kasich is supposedly a Republican and he lords his, his supposed religiosity over everybody. Obviously, I'm a deeply religious person. That's why I wear this funny beanie on the top of my head because I'm a, a deeply religious Jew. John Kasich says he's a deeply religious Christian, which is why he wants to expand the power of government, right? He's real big on, on the government, has to fill the moral void. So he was asked on national TV about some of these religious freedom laws that now exist in North Carolina and exist in, they tried to pass it in Georgia. They've passed it in Mississippi, right? These laws basically say, if you're a religious person, then you get to be religious in the workplace. You don't have to serve people for whom it's a sin for you to, to, to serve, right? That's, that's the idea. And I've said before, I don't think this is a purely religious argument. I believe that you should have the right to refuse service to whomever you want. And if we don't like that you're re refusing service to somebody, we just won't shop with you, right? We'll, we'll use the power of the market. Here is John Kasich saying these laws are unnecessary and ripping into religious people for abiding by their own religious standards. John Kasich. I mean, look, I, we are not having this issue in our state about this whole religious liberty. I believe that religious institutions ought to be protected uh, and be able to be in a position of where they can, uh, uh, they can you know, live out their, their uh, deeply held religious purposes. Uh, but when you get beyond that, it gets to be a, a tricky issue. And uh, tricky is not the right word, but it can become a contentious issue. But in our state, we're not facing this. So everybody needs to take a deep breath, respect one another. And the minute we start trying to write laws, things become more polarized, they become more complicated. Obviously, I don't want to force people to violate their deeply held religious convictions, but we'd have to see what that's all about. 
I wouldn't have signed off from everything I know. I haven't studied it. But Nathan Deal, the governor of Georgia, vetoed another one. And uh, look, I, you just got to see what the laws are and what the proposals are and why you need to write a law. Why do we have to write a law every time we turn around in this country? Can't we figure out just how to get along a little bit better and respect one another? I mean, that's where I think we ought to be. Everybody, chill out. Get over it if you have a disagreement with somebody. So that's where I am right now, John. And unless there's something that pops up, I'm not inclined to sign anything. He's not going to sign anything. That's where we are. That religious stuff, it's mumbo-jumbo, this religious stuff. Okay, the reason this came up in the first place is because gay and lesbian activists decided to make an issue of religious business owners not wanting to service their same-sex weddings, not wanting to serve their same-sex weddings, and therefore there were laws passed attempting to protect those people. John Kasich says that's unnecessary because truly religious people would violate their religious prescriptions at pretty much every turn because that would be the nice thing to do. Forgive me if I don't like John Kasich's brand of, of theocracy. I, I, think that it's, I think it's galling and I think that it's gross. John Kasich, also a, a small raisin of, of a head person and, and just as, as Ace of Spades put it about John Kasich, a man who looks like his face went through the wash twice in your pocket. He, he, uh, he, that, that's somebody who I find unpalatable. And that right there in a nutshell is why I find John, find John Kasich unpalatable. The guise of, of niceness. Under the, and underneath is this philosophy of government totalitarianism that the government can force you to do pretty much anything. Okay, well, we will be back tomorrow with more uplifting news of the day. And make sure that you go over to Andrew Clavin's podcast to make you really feel better after this. That's how this works, right? I make you all depressed, and then Clavin makes you feel better about your life. As I like to say, my show is we're all in hell together. Let's enjoy it. And Clavin says, I'll bring the popsicles. That's pretty much how, how the shows go. So make sure that you tune in. For that, it's great to start the week with you. Thanks for showing up. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. PureTalk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So... I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.